Well, we began a new series last week in which we're looking at becoming more like Jesus. And specifically, what we're doing is going in depth with some of the, the fruit of the Spirit. I say some of, or eventually we're going to tackle all of it. But up first today is love. In 1955, a film by the same title told us that love was a many-splendored thing. As a child in the 1980s, I heard Pat Benatar tell us that love is a battlefield. Uh, More recently, the singer Amy Winehouse uh, crooned that love is a losing proposition. Back in 1967, the guys from Liverpool, England, that made their U.S. debut on the Ed Sullivan Show, told us that, I'm not saying they made their their debut in 1967, their debut came much earlier than that, but in 1967, they told us that love is all we need. Of course, I'm talking about the Beatles there. And so, society... Popular culture, we might say, gives us no shortage of movies and songs about the subject of love and some of the victory and defeat, specifically of romantic love. But love, as is mentioned so many times in the Bible, is most of the time not mentioned in a romantic light. And so looking at what Scripture says about love, we begin in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of loved, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, 1 John 2 then kind of tells us what love is not. Kind of a warning here from John. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Or paraphrased, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, 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 is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for 
eternity. So a warning there from Brother John, but then this lovely reminder at the end about what awaits us if we focus on the love of the Father, true love. A Harvard University study followed a group of graduates starting in the 1930s and continuing on into the 1940s. And the study was initiated by a Harvard psychiatrist. And so what they did is they followed this group of graduates from those, that period of several years and they followed them not just for a period of five or ten or so years after their graduation. What they did is they followed them uh, for the rest of their lives. And so, as you can imagine, many of them lived into their 80s and 90s. Uh, many of them have just passed just in the last five to ten years. And so when the professor who initiated the study, when he retired, then another professor then took over that research in following this group of people throughout their lifetime. And what they found is... Uh, well, the, the, the summary of the study is happiness is love. That's what they determined, is that happiness essentially is love. The current director of the study filled in the details. He said in a recent interview that the subjects who reported having the happiest lives were those with strong family ties, close friendships, and rich romantic lives. The subjects who were most depressed and lonely late in life, not to mention more likely to be suffering from dementia, alcoholism, or other health problems, were the ones who had neglected their close relationships. What is the study reminding us of, church? This decades-long study by one of the most renowned universities in the world is simply reminding us that people matter, that relationships matter. Just like what John uh, says in, in 1 John 2, that you know there are all these things that we might crave that are not from the Father but that are of the world, that those things fade away. But what is it that really matters? What really matters is love of those who, like us, are created in the image of God. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then moving down to verses 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now John, not mincing words there, is he, church? When he says that uh, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And I appreciate Hayden for choosing that song, The Greatest Command, because uh, those words are taken, as we just were reminded, directly from 1 John chapter 4, weren't they, Hayden? And so I thought about recommending that Hayden lead that song, and I thought, no, uh, we'll let this just kind of happen organically. If Hayden reads, I send him the scripture during the week and let him look over uh, at least some of what I say. Sometimes I add stuff at the 11th hour, right brother? Uh, but uh, I appreciate him leading that song. Not an easy song to, to lead. And uh, to Scotty's point, not an easy song to sing if you don't know, if you don't know parts. But I've heard so many people in this family of God over the years talk about how much they particularly love that song and with good reason. It reminds us that God is love. And oh, the challenge is there though. It's just this reminder and the more we unpack scripture week in and week out, it just keeps slapping us in the face, doesn't it church? That our religion is unique to every other religion in the world. That every other religion in the world is simply about the worshiper's relationship with the deity. With that particular God. But our God, the one true God, the creator of the cosmos, he doesn't do it that way. His idea of love is based on how much we love each other. That we can only love him insofar as we're able to love the other people we come in contact with. That when he wears that hat, we might say, or fills that role of righteous judge, which he will ultimately do, that he will judge us, forgive us, according to how we've been willing to forgive the people that have wronged us. And so, I'm reminded all throughout Scripture that God really, really cares about how we love other people. God really, truly cares about how we treat other people. John probably the youngest apostle when he walked with Jesus. One of those innermost three that was there for all those events where the other apostles were excluded. 
I don't want to say they were excluded, but, but they simply weren't invited to be in the room sometimes. But we know that Peter, James, and John got to see it all. And so John, someone who walked so closely with Jesus, reminds us, church, that we can say all we want, I love God, but if we hate a brother or sister... He says, we're a liar. That our proclamation that we love God is absolutely futile. It is worthless. Why? Because we fail to love some brother or sister. Some brother or sister that, yes, might have mistreated us, might have hurt us, might have wronged us. And boy, correct me if I'm wrong. Holler it out if you disagree this morning. But isn't that the hardest part about being a child of God? Isn't that the part that we say, wow. I'm sure that was the part where people are quoted in the Gospels and especially in John's Gospel. When people were quoted as saying, whoa. Listening to Jesus, they would say, this teaching is hard. And what do the Gospels tell us? That there were people that essentially threw up their hands and just walked away. Because they said, that's impossible. That's, that's not something I can do. No, that's not something, no, that's just not realistic. And then we think about every other religion in the world and how it doesn't demand that of its followers. But the true religion, the real religion, the true God, the real God, He wants us to care about other people. 1 John chapter 3, yes, you're getting a big dose of 1 John today because 1 John centers around love. And so 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession, possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John reminding us in this section of his letter that you know if we are truly going to be people who love, we're going to embrace the idea that love is not merely a concept. Love is not merely an idea. That love requires us to go out of our way to do things. That we are be willing to make sacrifices for other people. That love is about action. And I love the clear speech here. Let us not love with words or speech, 
but with actions and in truth. If we see people hurting and have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in us? It's a challenging letter that John puts before us. But church, this defines what love looks like. We're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to become more like Jesus. Then we're going to be people who love with action. Love, and I'm going to have to go to my notes for a minute. But the love of Jesus, when it's in our hearts, allows us to make sacrifices for others. We're willing to do without sometimes so that others may have. The love of Jesus in our hearts increases our capacity to forgive the people that hurt us. And people will always hurt us, church. The same way our sin always hurts God. But yet, God doesn't allow our sin to... To, to keep him from loving us. His capacity to forgive is infinite. It is limitless. And so we need to be people who are working on developing that same capacity to forgive others who have wronged us. Love of Jesus in our hearts allows us to love the unloved. Dr. Paul Brand is a uh, was uh, someone who worked with leprosy patients in India over the years of his medical career, and sometimes they would gather together in fellowship and worship. And one evening, Paul Brand joined them, and they asked him to speak. He wasn't prepared to get up and speak to the group, but he didn't hesitate to do so when called upon. He had nothing prepared, but when he got up, he paused for a moment and looked at their hands. Some with no fingers, some with only a few stumps. And then he spoke. I am a hand surgeon, he said. So when I meet people, I cannot help but look at their hands. I would like to have examined Christ's hands, with the nails having been driven through them. They must have appeared twisted and crippled. Remember, he said to that group, Jesus at the end was crippled too. The patients on hearing this lifted their hands toward heaven. One after another, they lifted their hands up in that gathering and they gave glory to God. Hands, many of which had no fingers. Some, as was described, only had little stumps where fingers used to be. And yet they were willing to lift their hands and give glory to God. Now church, in the midst of our greatest pain of suffering, if we can lift our hands and give glory to God, 
then it shows that we love God. But church, when we're willing to be people who practice sacrificial love, when we are willing to be people who practice forgiveness, even for those who have wronged us deeply, when we are people who are able to love the unloved, then we truly have a grasp of what love for a child of God is supposed to look like. Romans 13 verses 9 and 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Say that with me, church. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. I'm going to ask you to say it one more time because some of you trickled in there. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And church family, when Jesus was asked that question in Luke's gospel, but who is my neighbor? He launched into a parable, a story as he was known to do. And what did that story teach us? That our neighbor is not the people we know. Our neighbor is not limited to the people that we love anyway. Our neighbor is who, church? It's every other human being that we come in contact with. We are to do no wrong. God help us to be those people. If you're in our midst this morning and you have not yet made the decision to give your life to this Savior who loves, this Savior who sacrificed His life so that our sins can be forgiven, then let today be the day that you confess Him as Lord and be baptized. And if you're with us this morning and you have something weighing on you that you need the prayers of this congregation, then we are here for that concern also as we stand together and sing this invitation.